this is the Well Energy Podcast. I'm Sarah Pickin Brown, integrated movement specialist, wellness coach of 20 years, and former pro athlete. Every week, we get down and dirty with all things fitness, nutrition, and mental health related, with an array of special guests who share their incredible stories, nuggets of advice, and answer your burning questions. So grab that drink, get comfy, and let's dive on in. Welcome to the Wellnergy Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Picken-Brown, and this is Season 2, Episode 2. Our next guest is a performance trainer and certified nutritionist. He served for 12 years in the RAF as a weapons technician, where he became a trainer within that sector of the RAF, after which time he transitioned and has been personal training for the last six years. He competed with the RAF at Rugby League. He's also been an MMA fighter and has rowed, skied and run marathons and is currently working towards his ultramarathon debut. And by the time we get to September's Wellnergy event, he will have completed two ultramarathons. A self-confessed loather of running, that's no mean feat. I'd like to welcome to the episode and to the podcast... Peter Crook. Welcome to the Well New Podcast. I'm Sarah Pickenbrown, your host, and this is Season 2, Episode 2. Our next guest is a performance trainer and certified nutritionist. He served for 12 years as a weapons technician with the RAF, after which time he transitioned into personal training and nutrition, where he's been working for the last six years. We chat about his time competing at Rugby League with the RAF, being an MMA fighter and the training that was associated with that. He's skied, he's run marathons and is currently training for his debut as an ultramarathon runner. By the time we get to September's event, he will have completed two ultramarathons. I'd like to welcome to the podcast my next very special guest, Peter Crawshaw, all the way from Manchester. Welcome, Peter. Hello, I'm very good. Sunny Manchester. Sunny Manchester, I know. It's probably just the same as it is here in, in London, which is fairly miserable, really, for March. <laughs> yeah, pretty snug. Now, do you train clients outdoors when it's like this? I've not been doing, no. I, um, I've just been doing online, obviously, with the, uh, the pandemic. So everything's been done online and virtually. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've luckily I've escaped some freezing cold sessions thankfully so you've been doing your personal training now for six years and usually I you know I've been in the industry for uh, 20 years now and one of the interesting facts that I I've always read is that most personal trainers will last 12 months and then they'll disappear uh, into doing other things how has the last six years of training been for you and how has your personal training knowledge but also your business evolved in that time uh, it's changed massively. I think when people get into personal training, it's a lot different than the reality when you first realize. It's a lot of long hours. It's a lot of hard work. You're building a business. You're building knowledge. You're building client interactions. Um, and you're practicing. You're learning your trade as you go with no real sort of mentors and no sort of hands-on. It's not like an apprenticeship. Um, so the first year, yeah, there's a huge dropout rate. 
people don't really understand the amount of work that's going into it. And for people who've got responsibilities, financial and things, it's a lot of pressure in that first 12 months. But yeah, I think once you make make it past that first 12 months, so you've started maybe making a profit, getting through a little bit of structure, getting your hours in order a little bit. Yeah, it's great. I love it. Um, very different from a previous job. But obviously a lot of things carry over into it. And uh, then this year has been a totally different challenge. Absolutely. A global pandemic is um, certainly seems to have sorted uh, a lot of things out in a lot of different sectors and different industries. And I, I don't think that the fitness industry is any different. What's been the biggest, biggest learning for you, but also the biggest challenges? Um, probably the, it's not about the gyms. It's about the support and the relationships and the building the education side of things with people. It's not really about pushing people through sets all the time and counting reps and things like that, which is obviously what we always put across as personal trainers, but you do spend a lot of time putting people for exercise and motivating people to do it. But during a pandemic, it's been a bit more supporting them day to day, supporting them with the little things, trying to structure some routine, trying to give people little targets and little goals that they can do, showing them that obviously as a runner, I'm all right. I can exercise out of the pandemic quite easily, but a lot of people don't do that. So giving them different options, giving them little ways to, to work on themselves and still achieve a lot in that goal and just kind of switching up what your focus is going to be over that period. Absolutely. With your clients, what has been the biggest challenge that they've faced? I mean, there's a lot of clients that I have where that disconnection from uh, work colleagues, from family and friends, not being able to see people has really had an impact on their mental health. Have you found the same thing with your clients based in Manchester? Yeah, definitely. Well, it's been it's been really varied. So you've had some that have really thrived, some that have managed to keep some structure, some that have done brilliantly well through it. And then you've had some that have really struggled. And that's I think that's the same with any sort of situation. It's not a one-size-fits-all. So some people really miss that structure. They miss the alarm clock in the morning. They miss the getting out of bed. A lot of the morning clients who have, who would normally be in the gym at 6 o'clock in the morning, if they're sleeping until eight o'clock, by the time they're getting up and going to do some work on Zoom or going to do some work on the computer, that motivation, that initial kickstart of getting up, knowing they've got to get to the gym, it's just gone. Um, but a lot of people have, have done well. I think, obviously, how people have been affected financially has had a huge pressure on people. Absolutely. So some people have been affected more financially than others. And then, obviously, health-wise, if you've been affected in COVID, some people have had some pretty adverse effects. Some people haven't been affected at all and don't know people who've been affected. So, yeah, it's been a real sort of eye-opener, a real challenge encompassing everything into clients. And that's where the personal side of, like, what we do and building that relationships is so important because you might get off a phone call and it's checking with one client who's had a great week, who's done really well, work's going fine, might still be in work, and then you get straight into another call where someone might have lost a family member and might have struggled with work or put on furlough or something devastating. And you've got to kind of adapt the same coaching aspects to two totally different situations. Absolutely. You'll be able to wear those different hats very quickly. Yeah, very quickly. So you mentioned that the personal training is very different from your previous job, which is a nice little introduction into my next question. You were a weapons technician for the RAF for 12 years. 12 years yep. is a long time. Um, tell us about that. What, what was the, 
what were some of the challenges with that? And, and have you been able to transfer any of the skills that you learned there into this global pandemic situation and also with your clients? Yeah, I think since day one, it really helped me. So yeah, a weapons technician is, it's a really varied role, an engineer. So you go in working on fighter jets, ejection seats, missiles, bombs, anything with explosives, basically. Um, sounds so like the training is quite, <laughs> yeah. so quite, um, quite intense and quite long. So I spent a lot of time doing my basic training, which was only seven weeks, but then you go into trade training, which is 14 months, which is quite long for the military. Um, and then you go out into the big wide world and engineer and go through all this stuff. I was an IED disposal instructor for five years. So I was teaching everyone who went to Northern Ireland, Afghanistan, things like that. People came through a bomb disposal school mm-hmm. and we teach them and it was tri-service. So I think a lot of the instructional capabilities out there, did a lot of instructional courses, a lot of public speaking, things like that, really helped with coming into front of people. Um, and just the general discipline that you have to have, like we said about the long hours that first year, having that discipline to get yourself up at five o'clock every morning to put your best face on, to go to work and realise that it's a job. And I heard a great quote when I first got into the industry about you've got to put on a show. It's a, it's a real job. Every time you open a client, they're paying for your time. They're not paying for you to be tired. They're not paying for you to be stressed. They're not paying for you to be worried about your stuff. That's their hour. So once you've got that discipline of knowing that you've got to switch it on and you can do that no matter how tired you are, I went into it with a, a one-year-old, so yeah, I was pretty pretty tired at the time. And um, yeah, it's just putting that show on and putting the the brave face on things and realizing that you can actually do a bit more and you can push a bit harder. And the importance of setting up that that business and that rapport and building trust and things with clients. It's interesting. I, I uh, I've experienced training with um, with Navy SEALs, and uh, also recently was talking to Squash Faulkner for the podcast and we were discussing how both the Navy SEAL philosophy, uh, one of the elements of the Navy SEAL philosophy and and her philosophy is that you've always got, no matter how hard it is, you've always got anywhere between 20 to 40% more left in the tank than you actually thought that you did. So keep pushing. Is that something that was drilled into you in your training with the RAF? Yeah, it sticks to me from one of my first days. So I was 18 young fresh-faced straight out of college straight signed up and you sat there and someone said you'll soon realize that you can operate on two to three hours sleep and obviously you think yeah of course like eight hours a night every night no problem but then you do weeks and weeks and weeks of two to three hours sleep and you operate and you get things done and you're still learning things and you're still performing physically obviously you're still running up and down hills you're still doing press-ups you're still doing squats and bodyweight exercises everywhere and you realise you can do it. You can push a little bit further. And especially when you've got that camaraderie and you've got other people around you that kind of pushes you on so that you know when you can do it on your own, you can dig deeper. There's always a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. With your training for the RAF, what sorts of things did you used to do? And is there any um, parallel with what you do now? Obviously, you're not 18 anymore, um, but is, is the, are you still able to do the same sorts of things you did then? Well, it's been... It's been a bit of an eye-opener, been well, a really handy sort of tool coming through the pandemic because people think you've got these fancy gyms and everything when you go into the military, but you haven't. You run up and down hills, you do press-ups, you do squats, you do burpees. 
and you do a huge amount of bodyweight exercises and you just work hard and it's just about the work ethic and people get in great shape doing that so as soon as everything was stripped back from the fancy gyms and your leg extensions and your hamstring curls the exercise that i could use through this was so so many exercises i've done before so many times especially with um pt all the way through because you've just got a big sports hall and you just feasted basically and people think you were soon to take away the structure and the gyms that fitness has to fall apart but when you remind people that some of the fittest people on earth don't have any gyms then it becomes quite apparent um fitness wise i'm very different now than i was okay so i've been through a full i was a very slim like 10 and a half stone six foot three really skinny and i was kind of just heavy enough to get in so my training has gone through full phases i'm 36 now 37 next week so i've been through huge phases i've done everything i've done the deadlifts all the way up to 500 pounds i've done the i've rolled a marathon i've done a marathon on the ski ergs i've ran marathons like saying getting enough to training i competed at rugby league for the rf competed in rugby sevens i competed in mma and it's just sport and fitness has just always been part of what i've done and i think obviously from the military you take things a little bit further and a little bit further and that very competitive side comes through because you're always trying to just best the person next to you really so that kind of pushes through and pushes you on so i think it does carry over now into the stupid challenges that i put up on myself at the moment so you are working towards an ultra marathon now tell us about that because i've heard about these ultra marathons and they sound more than painful yeah well up until two years ago really i wasn't a runner so I basically not ran since I left the RF because obviously during the military you run a lot and I never really enjoyed it so I always saw it as a punishment I always saw it as a bit of a PT session I wasn't much of a fan of um, I was never you know horrendous at it but I was never great at it and then I took up CrossFit was and running was a weak point I was really strong in my lifts and things like that and running was a weak point I thought right I'm gonna sign up to a marathon to try and improve my running because I don't tend to do things by half so I did that ran a marathon uh, ran a series of half marathons and things up to that and then I kind of set myself down thought right what's next this do you want to run a marathon faster or do you want to run further so I signed up for a hundred kilometer race through the lakes which should have taken place summer last year but obviously has been cancelled so I've still got that ahead that should be in June but I thought I can squeeze something else in before then. So I should be doing a 50 kilometer ultra marathon around Snowdonia in about four weeks' time. I'm still waiting on the nod to see whether it's going to go ahead or not. Fingers crossed. But it's a lot of elevation. Um, it's totally different to running a marathon on the road. So it's a much slower process. I'm nowhere near elite level. This will be my first sort of venture into it. And it's just a case of being able to put one foot in front of the other for a long time, basically. And I think that comes back to a lot of the, the military mindset, your fitness tests and things where you realise it is just a case of like, it's just keeping going and knowing you've got that a little bit more. And that's kind of the the temptation of the ultramarathon to, to taste that little bit of really suffering and knowing you can get through it and then really suffering again and then knowing you can get through it and then just trying to see how far you can go and who knows how far it'll go. Well, with the with these ultra marathons, obviously there's quite arduous training that you have to put in to get the Ks in your legs. Uh, how's the body feeling at the age of just about to turn 37? 
How are you feeling? Um, it does take me a little bit longer to recover than I, when I was 18, I must admit. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying it. It's, in a strange way, the pandemic's been great because I've had more freedom to run in the daytime. I've not had to get up at three or four o'clock in the morning to go and clock up 20 mile runs. I can have a little bit more sleep, get a little bit more rest and rest the legs. I'm not spending it's 10 so hours. Sleep's so important for recovery as well. So Massive, yeah. Um, so I am quite thankful for it a little bit. Um, so my re my recent training program is basically I'm running somewhere near to three or four hour runs at least once a week. Um, so next week I'll be running a marathon on Tuesday and then I'll have a day's rest. I'll run a half marathon the day after that, go up to some hills. Just basically putting your body through a lot and asking it to change. And it's going okay, fingers crossed. I struggled when I first started running. I did get a lot of injuries because I've not run for so long. And I kind of went from zero to a marathon in a very short time. So your body gets overuse injuries, but thankfully I've had time to spend on some recovery, listening to people about stretching and doing yoga and things like that and trying to incorporate a lot more stuff into looking after myself nutritionally as well. Um, and just tying everything into actually looking after myself as an athlete and not doing fitness at the size of my job, kind of making that switch a little bit. So a very different mindset. One's the job yeah. and it's just ticking over. The other one is thinking like an athlete. And again, interesting, we were talking to a ballerina called Isabella Maguire recently in season one. And she talks about dancers thinking like athletes. And it's interesting that you're saying the same thing because it's all about combining food, recovery, sleep, and the work. That's the mindset of an athlete that she saw. And it sounds like you're saying very similar. Yeah, I think if you're going to try and make the best of anything, you've got to try and push on all levels. You've got to help yourself. There's no point running one one side of it completely into the ground, running yourself as much as possible and never recovering because you'll just deteriorate. You'll just, especially at this this ripe old age these days. I um, I just want to be able to do it. My mind would tell me that I can because I've still got that mindset of the 18-year-old who will try and run through brick walls, but my body knows now I'm a little bit more wise that I will take a little bit of time and I will spend, if my body's not up to running, I will slow myself down a little bit, maybe do some recovery work do a general um an hour on a spin bike or something like that just shake my legs out and listen a lot more kind of how i would want my clients to react to my coaching not just try and bravado my way through everything and run myself into the ground which is a really that's a really important tip is to actually listen intuitively to what your body's telling you in terms of pain management and and that kind of thing so you're talking now to a self-confessed despiser of running i hate running and the thought of doing an ultra marathon horrifies me um and i certainly would never choose to do it um unless there was you know an awful lot of uh pressure from somewhere else like a gun was held to my head or something um but what would you tell people who wouldn't necessarily want to do an ultra marathon who are thinking an ultra marathon's just way 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 out in the realms of possibility for them, but maybe uh, would like to start running, what would be your tips for them? Uh, I think the biggest thing is don't worry about it. Don't stress about running certain distances or certain times. Find yourself a nice park or a little environment and just try and run. You don't have to run fast. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to time yourself. You're not trying to hit any PBs. Just run and enjoy 
being out in the fresh air and that's been massive obviously through this of being outside of the house when you start to um one environment for so long but i think that's where a lot of people go wrong they put so much stress on themselves to to run and record what they're doing and look at strava and look at their apps and try and progress next time and always try and run faster and as soon as you don't get faster they get disheartened but sometimes you just don't run faster and once you start enjoying the run and going to nice places and enjoying the scenery you can do it and if you're looking to just be able to run a little bit which is a great goal for people just to be able to move your body on foot and propel yourself around just pick some nice places and go and run there and if you have to walk for a little bit walk for a little bit and if you have to stop for a little bit and have a little bit of water do that don't put pressure on yourself to suddenly become Mo Farah or something like where you can you know your time looking at splits and I think that's where a lot of people go wrong they'll compare they say the comparison is the thief of joy that social media is a nightmare for it because people are always comparing themselves and people I've been running now pretty intensely for two years people look at my time sometimes and I'll be running slower than them and it's just running it's just I'm enjoying the run I might have a audio book on or a podcast or I'm not running to run fast all the time I think when people get that habit of just going it's just nice to be able to get yourself on foot from one point to another comfortably yeah then it's a massive um life tool as well and as you get you know you get all the amount of kids and grandkids to be able to play outside and run with them is a huge thing and that's something I definitely want to carry over and I think if everyone did that and everyone just could run around the block you just feel a lot better and then running around the block becomes easy and running a little bit further becomes a little bit of a challenge and then you just keep doing that and keep progressing and keep progressing and like I say I never I was also a I detested running as well I hated it it was never never something I enjoyed and then just all of a sudden clicked and now I understand it and I mean don't get me wrong there's plenty of mornings when I wake up and I don't want to run for four hours on my own um but you do it and it's a habit and when I, I always feel better for doing it Absolutely. Now, you, you've also been an MMA athlete, which is complete contrast to running ultramarathons and doing even CrossFit. Um, give us a little bit of an insight into your experience of MMA and the training. Well, that was the, um, it was a strange, strange position to find myself in. Basically, I played rugby league for the RAF. I got quite a bad injury in my shoulder. I had to have some rehab on it. Um, and I got posted from the area. So the base where I was playing a lot of rugby, I got moved from. I got moved to the Bond Disposal School where there was no rugby team. And you're in the middle of nowhere, so I had no rugby to do. So as I was coming back to fitness, I didn't have the structure. I was having training. I didn't have a coach. I didn't have anyone looking out. I had PT and we had the gym on base. I had some mates who lifted. And I just kind of felt myself getting heavy and I felt slow. For someone who'd done a lot of sport, I just I enjoy the weights room. I've always enjoyed lifting weights, but I didn't push myself in the other aspects, such as running, that I obviously didn't enjoy. So I looked for a, an external stimulus, basically a class. And I went to a, a fighting gym with a friend who'd been going for a while. And he just said, come along to a class, see how you like it. And it's just really good fitness, learn a bit of jujitsu or do some boxing. And they're all encompassed in the same gym. So I did, and I started going along and you make friends and you go from one class to the next class and to the next class and to the next class. And he ended up spending pretty much every night there for about three to four hours a night. And you're doing Muay Thai for an hour, and then you're going to Jiu-Jitsu for an hour, and then you'll do MMA for an hour. But you're just with your mates, and it's just good fun. It was never really about competing. But then I ended up competing. Um, and 
loved it. It was never something, I never got into fighting to fight. I never kind of was a, a violent sort of, or seeking this out to be a tough guy. But I just really enjoyed the challenge and it was good. And, you know, I was no world beater at it. I enjoyed it. I stepped up on late notice once and fought a heavyweight from a middleweight and I got my head kicked in. Um, but it is what it is. And it's all about just enjoying the process and enjoying the, the sport and the challenge of it. And I think it does kind of carry across to the ultramarathons of having that mindset of going, like, I'll just push a bit further and I'll just push a bit further and I'll just push a bit further. And MMA training's hard and you're tired a lot of the time and you're worn down and you're beaten up and people don't realise the, the physical pain you're in most of the time. And I think once you're used to that sort of, things just ache and hurt when you're sparring or practising with friends, even at light, you know, a light pace. You still get whacked off a cage. You still get your back slammed on the floor. You still end up with skin being ripped off and black eyes and things. But once you get used to that constant sort of feeling, it's not too bad. And you realise you're not made of glass. And I mean, once you've got that mindset, you can kind of apply that to a lot of things. And that kind of came from rugby, went across to MMA, and that probably started in the military training. And then it's passed on to everything I do. And I just know that I've always got like that little bit more that you're asking about you're saying at the start that there is always that little bit more and it just intrigues me to see where I can put it and what it'll go to next and who knows you are a certified nutritionist and this is something that you're going to be bringing to the Rology uh, events both the, the digital event in um, when we do the filming in Manchester and live streaming uh, and also in September at the physical event in Oxfordshire and Cornbury Park now Give us a bit of a, a rundown. Don't tell us everything because we need to leave something to, to be discovered, but give us a little bit of a rundown and insight into what you're going to be sharing with us at those events. Um, generally, my approach towards nutrition with clients, um, with 90% of my clients, and it's a very sort of real approach working on the gym floor day to day, of teaching people about habits and about behaviours and understanding their own habits and behaviours around nutrition. I don't like, there's a lot of misinformation to make money in nutrition. People need to sell things. People want to promote this and promote that. And if we really look into it, there's not that much to promote. So if you really look at nutrition, it's not that sellable. It's something we've all done. We've all eaten. Like everyone knows a little bit about nutrition. But the problem is that people will try and make money and people, consumerism has entered nutrition not only in the sort of selling diet plans but also selling food and understanding our reaction to that and our evolution sort of that our brains and bodies haven't caught up with what we now have as food we have so much food and abundance we never you know you never find a way from food anymore and i think when people peel it all back and realize that that it's not a case of oh i need to track every macro oh i need to go keto oh i need to do this i need to do that that it's just understanding that our bodies are very, very efficient through evolution at storing fuel because we had feast and famine. And now we just don't have famine. We just have an overabundance of nutrition. We can eat whenever we want, wherever we want, and it's never become a problem. And trying to explain to people how to get out of that cycle and understanding that they don't always need as much. There's no fear of food. You can eat whatever you want, whenever you want. But you just have to understand what it's going to do and what effect it's going to have on your body. And that's kind of where I apply things and I don't try and give people a strict, you should follow this, you should follow that, you should follow the other. If you're a vegan, if you are keto, if you're, they've all got their own sort of attributes. And if that's a decision you want to make, that's fine. 
but understand why you're doing something and what that effect will have going forward on you and how to apply that to your normal daily life, basically. Absolutely. It sounds very balanced and very simple. Yeah, and that's the, the problem with it. So <laughs> that's the it's not it's not as marketable as telling someone that they should not eat a carbohydrate or as well found the secret to the diet plan. And much like I said about the the running, it's about the process and it's about being outside and enjoying it. Whereas with eating, it's about understanding it and enjoying it, just learning a little bit more about we're not supposed to have so much food available. Food is is fuel to us and it's supposed to sustain us and allow us to do things. But we don't have to do that hunt anymore. We don't have to go and search for the food. We're not as active as we once were. We have less activity and more available calories than we've ever had before. And it's understanding that and being honest about it. And people understanding how much fuel they actually use in a day and how much fuel they actually need, why their bodies tell them they're hungry at certain times, the habits that they have built since, sometimes since birth, not about the... The excesses. It's not about completely obsessing with carbohydrates, completely obsessing with certain food groups or certain ways to eat, but it's about building that sort of relationship and understanding of what you need to get through. Absolutely. Yeah, sounds sounds extremely balanced. In fact, your entire approach um, to exercise and nutrition sounds very much that it's based in an intuitive way of communicating with your body and listening to your body and having fun yeah definitely and it's just it's that we're not educated about it from a young age we're not taught these these little habits from a young age we talk about maybe the science of nutrition a little bit but not much and what things happen in our body so we never have an understanding we have a bit of a fear of understanding it and like i say that that should be fun it should be something we can engage with it should be something you know you don't have to deprive yourself of all foods you don't have to create crazy extreme exercise regimens but if you are going to do one understand how the other will affect it if you are going to live a normal balanced life and not push yourself to crazy amounts do you need the crazy amounts of calories that you're giving yourself why are you so tempted to eat at certain times of the day why will someone who might be a manual laborer farmer something like that will still eat breakfast lunch and an evening meal the same as someone who's sat in an office will eat breakfast, lunch, and evening meal. Why have we built those structures, those habits, those those things that we might not need as much of? And I think that it's very, it's a real approach. It's something that people should do, not should do, but can do. Um, like you say, intuitively. But that intuitiveness comes after education, really. We're going to be finding you um, at the event in September where people can get their tickets at wellnessy.co.uk. When is your ultramarathon? Well, by that time, I should have done two ultramarathons. So I should do one in April. Yeah, I should have done two by then. So hopefully, if everything goes ahead, by the time the event comes around, I will have done a 50k in Snowden and a 100k in the Lake District. So if I've still got legs to stand up on to present, (laughs) I'll be pretty happy. We'll make sure that we have a chair for you just in case you need to sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I might need one. Well, look, thank you so much. Um, it's It's been very insightful and very interesting to have a chat with you about being intuitive and learning uh, the hows and then applying the whys with your exercise and your nutrition and making sure that you take it one step at a time and make sure you have fun along the way. 
very, very sound advice. Thank you so much, Pete Crawshaw, all the way in Manchester from Gymology, where you'll be able to find him uh, with all of the socials and also all of the website links in the bio to this particular podcast. Pete, thank you so much and happy running. My pleasure. Great to uh, virtually meet you. I look forward to meeting you in person. We will indeed. Peter, thank you so much for making it simple for us and giving us permission to not have to compete every time we go out, that you can do that little bit extra if you're finding the joy and to find the joy both with your food and with your training. Really important tips that we can all apply. I look forward to speaking to all of you next week as we release episode three of season two, Adventures in Wellnergy. We have a chat to performance specialist and training expert in altitude training. All the way from London and the Altitude Centre, James Barber will be giving us some insights into how we can train high and aim high. Look forward to chatting to you then. Till next week, be well.